Welcome to Spew, Spectrum People Enjoying Wizardry. I'm Quirinus, and I have Asperger's Syndrome. I'm Lavender, and my daughter, Abby Kadabi, has nonverbal autism. And I now call this 21st Meeting of Spew to Order. Queerness. Hello, Lavender. How are you today? I'm doing pretty good. Me too. It's been a good day. I don't really have anything to talk about. Abby Cadabby just celebrated a birthday, though. She did, and it, it was it was very good. We had cupcakes, and we got all kinds of fun stuff, and she seemed really happy. She got a bunch of, she got a crash pad. Ooh, what is that? So think like a bean bag, but instead of filled with beans, it's stuffed with like the soft blocks. Like foam? Yeah, foam blocks. They're not styrofoam, but yeah, the soft foam blocks. And it's giant, and Whoa. she loves it. So it's like a giant my pillow. Pretty much. I think that's what the my pillows are. Is- they just blocks of soft foam. Yeah. We <laughs> we did actually put a swing up in her room and then it broke. So that was sad. <laughs> We're working on... F- that seems like a yearly occurrence with you. Not the swings. This, this, was, this was a whole other... This was a new situation that we're working to fix. Because <laughs> I remember you saying a couple years ago that you had gotten her a swing and couldn't get it up or something. Yeah, and you're right. So this is the same swing from a couple years ago but you know we have since moved mm-hmm. and since we've moved we haven't put it back up ah. and we wanted to make sure to have it up in time for her birthday and we did and we actually got it like bolted to the ground in concrete so it wouldn't tip over anymore because that was our main issue before was she was getting bigger and it would tip over if she mm-hmm. swung too hard in it which she would inevitably so we we thought we had like fixed all issues here we bolted it into the ground but then the actual swing frame broke and it's it's i mean it's it's wrought iron i mean it's steel (laughs) and it broke so it's been uh, it's been a week queerness honestly but it's been it's just been interesting (laughs) chalk it up to 2020 couple birthdays for this first half of the month june 5th is draco malfoy's birthday and the 6th is jason isaacs who played lucius malfoy's birthday And then the ninth is Johnny Depp's birthday. And then a couple deaths. June 4th is when Quirrell dies, which I don't think it specifically says in the book that he dies, but he does die from his wounds. Oh. Unlike the movie where he turns to dust. Right. (laughs) And then June 13th was when Myrtle died. When you start looking at these dates of events that happen, you realize that because of how it's structured with the school year, you have this group of dates that's back to school in September, and then this group of dates around Halloween, and then you have something happening near the end of the year, and then you have something big happen at the end of the year, but it's just like, okay, something from every books happens at the same time every year. According to the school schedule, yes. (laughs) I have noticed that before, but I've just, you've put it very, you've put it well, (laughs) put it into words very well. Lavender, what are we talking about this week? 
So today we're talking about Autism the Sequel. Whereas previously we had talked about Autism the Musical, today flash forwards how many years? Because the first one was filmed like two years before it actually was published on HBO, I'm seeing conflicting numbers where I think it's a total of like 14 years, but it's really like 12 years. I'm not. Right. I think, yeah, I think that's right. Uh, but it follows the same group of people that Autism the Musical follows. So if you hadn't listened to that one, go listen to that one first. Everything will make a lot more sense. But this one follows them trying to get started in young adulthood. And first off, it's a lot shorter than the other one. The other one was like a full hour and a half long movie. And this one was just a 45 minute follow up. Which I was kind of sad about. Yeah, it was, there wasn't as much going on in it. And it was nothing more than a follow up, which was kind of disappointing. Yeah, I feel like I had vested a little bit into the characters, or not the characters. I guess, but the people in it, and I wanted, I guess I wanted more, but it's okay. Yeah. Also, just to follow up on my observation from last time, all of the clips from the first one that they used in this one were in full screen <laughs> rather than widescreen, even though the original documentary existed in widescreen and not cropped or anything. It was like shot in widescreen. And that is just something that I would never notice. I'm sorry. <laughs> I also noticed that at the beginning of both of these, um, they have Coach E. Elaine. Yeah. She's She makes a statement that is kind of the setup for the whole movie. And in this one, it was that depression, anxiety, and suicide rate is high in autistic adults. That was kind of where it went from there, but not really. I This one didn't really have a motivation. There was no plot to it. It was just thoughts compiled in kind of a somewhat structured fashion. Somewhat, yeah. Kochi's son, Neil, knows how to communicate. Mm-hmm. Yes, he does. When he's given the opportunity to communicate, he's good at it. When they were out and about, he pulled out his phone and he used an app to structure a sentence. But when it came to actually typing with a real keyboard, he had much more difficulty and had to have somebody press against his arm to give him the leverage to be able to push the buttons he wanted. Yeah. It was interesting. I mean, I've, I honestly loved the bit about Neil. I really did. When he got the chance to communicate, not only was he really good at it, but he was so eloquent. He was so, he was so aware. I mean, I loved it the most, but it kind of also broke my heart the most. But I was, I was really happy for Neil. He seemed... When he had the ability to communicate, he could and he could be himself and he could express himself. Yes. And I liked seeing that. That was, that made me so happy because in Autism the Musical, they had just introduced um, the iPad with him to communicate and he had just started to. And he was good at it even then. What we saw, at least in Autism the Musical, but I remember what struck me the most in the bit about Neil was Kochi's quote where she said, in some ways, we're exactly where we were and in some ways, we're light years away. And I just, mm -hmm. I feel like that quote right there pretty much describes our household, at least in this moment in time. Mm -hmm. So it, it stuck with me. And I also remember Kochi saying, mentioning the affordability of 24 hour care. That one struck, struck me. And she said, mm -hmm. you know, she, she just knows that a third of her salary is going to that. And they briefly touched on some of the steps she had taken to um, set Neil up for, you know, after his mom passes. And I think that mm -hmm. that's important as a parent that that needs to be talked about more. I also kind of noticed all of the parents, except for Adams, and we'll talk about Adam <laughs> later, but all of the parents had a complete 180 in their thought process. Yes. Uh, most of them went from, 
not thinking their kids would amount to anything to realizing they were capable far more on their own than they thought they were. Mm -hmm. But Kochi actually made a statement where she went the other direction. She created the Miracle Project thinking that she could get Neil to that point of being able to take care of himself and has since realized that that's not going to happen for him and changed her expectations. Well put. And then we moved on to Wyatt, which Wyatt was the one that we had said before was very aware of the situation. Yeah. But I was very, I really, I don't know how to feel about this because I guess the, the best way to describe it is he didn't mature out of it as much as I thought he would. He still felt very much the same as the 12 year old from before. Yeah. But now an adult body. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Now he was going to work and like walking the good distance every day to work, but like commuting quite a big distance to work. (laughs) Cause he had to like walk to the bus stop and then the bus took him someplace and then he had to walk further. Yep. But the state had provided him with a helper. I think they called her a job coach. Job coach. Yes. He was also like the, I believe they said the first student at Portland State University for this. They didn't really give the name of the program and I should have researched it. It was a non-degree program that basically was designed to give them the college experience and teach them life skills. Right. And he was the first, I believe he was the first student at uh, Portland State University. And they they provided dorms, like, in everything. He was in the first group of the program. Okay. But he was the only one in the program that wanted to do the dorm. Yeah. I did love one of Wyatt's mom's quotes where she said, you know, I'm always one of those people that wants to come in and I want to fix it and I want to make it better. And she said, and Wyatt is just like, mom, it's already great. Why does it have to be greater? And I, I loved that because Wyatt is great. And I'm glad that he's doing, he's doing all right. <laughs> <laughs> and then we caught up with Lexi, which she is now living in a group home and has gotten a lot better at communicating. She did meow a lot. A bit. <laughs> but I thought it was interesting that you could see her consciously fighting the echolalia like as she was talking and halfway through a sentence you could see her struggling and she'd get through the sentence but then there was another point where they asked a question and she repeated it and halfway through repeating it she just kind of like rolled her eyes and just finished the sentence like she knew she did it but i wonder if that's really difficult i mean i can only imagine it is Probably. I mean, the way it is for me to sometimes answer questions and come up with an answer is very difficult because I wish I could just beam the answer into your brain using (laughs) non-words. I liked that she was she was FaceTiming with her mom and texting mm-hmm. and everything. And she seemed to like this group home. She seemed to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I liked the the little bit we saw of the program director. She seemed like she handled that situation, that small situation that we saw. She mm-hmm. that she handled it very well. I really liked her for that, you know, fifteen seconds that we saw her. And I wanna learn more about her. <laughs> <laughs> I liked how her mom had had done a 180 because her mom was one of the most concerning to me Mm -hmm. and then uh we went to henry and henry was the one diagnosed with asperger's syndrome and he was living on his own and moved to san francisco by himself and was navigating that without a problem (laughs) 
He did use a lot of strong language, and there were lots of alcohol bottles all over his apartment, which I have noticed this in other things that adults with Asperger's tend to drink and cuss a lot, and I do not. Hold on, I've never heard that. It's not something you hear about, but it is something I have noticed. There was another HBO special, Aspies Are Us, about a the group of comedians that were touring the country. Mm-hmm. And there was the one character in there that was a constant drunk. And it, it made me very uncomfortable. Okay. Hmm. That's not something I've noticed before, but okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah, because you do not. You do not drink. You rarely mm-hmm. cuss. You have to be pretty mad. Mm-hmm. It's rare. <laughs> Henry seemed fine to me. <laughs> I mean, honestly, he seemed fine. He was... Oh, and also, he was going to school for the same type of stuff I enjoyed doing. He was um, doing special effects and editing. That's what I thought when I saw it. I was like, oh, yeah, I made that connection. I was like, oh, this is okay. (laughs) Henry seemed to just have more social challenges than anything he said, at least. He said he didn't really get along with people. I also noticed the program director at his school said that the first thing they noticed was the lack of eye contact. And Henry was the one in the musical that they made a big deal about that. Which I find interesting that he's the only one that 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 ends up being a problem at all. Hmm. I didn't make that parallel. Good eye. And then... And then we get to Adam. And then we get to Adam. Who, because of his mother, I feel like not much has changed here. She still very much is controlling every aspect of everything he does. Even though he has gotten this scholarship to this music school... And the music school provides him with a one-on-one tutor. She's still there in all of his classes telling him to pay attention. I almost have to, like, center myself before I talk about this segment, honestly. This... It didn't work. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) With what we are shown in film, it really does look like Adam's mother is very and completely overbearing and enabling, almost. If that's the, the right word for it. She was. She she was with him in all of his classes. Like you said, even though he had gotten a music scholarship for his cello, which is super awesome, and had advocated to the nth degree to make sure that he had a constant one-on-one, basically. A constant, a constant aid. And we didn't see him talk much in this one. Hardly at all. He didn't do any interviews, which on the first one, he was talking to the camera quite a bit. Quite a Not bit. in an inter- interview, but just because he wanted to talk to the camera. And this time we didn't see him talking to the camera at all. He only talked to his mother in one little side scene and he seemed perfectly capable of carrying on conversation. Yeah. But they really did not show that side at all. At all. Adam Spent made me the most uncomfortable because, I mean, I want to follow up on Adam, not his mom. <laughs> no offense. Or his dad, <laughs> who, by the way, is still a jerk. Uh-huh. Like, within the first four seconds of opening his mouth. I feel so bad. We're we're here, and we're just, like, ripping Adam's parents apart for filth right now, and, and, I'm, and I'm sorry. It's nothing personal, but with what I see on film, like, dang, y'all. I feel like if Adam had been given more independence, they would have been surprised, just like all of the other parents had been surprised. Mm-hmm. But it felt like they didn't really even take a chance to give him any independence. Mm-mm. And maybe we just didn't see it. You know. Yeah. But I think that they should take that chance. If they ever hear this podcast, I think you guys should take the chance. Let them surprise you. So that brings us to the end of that conversation. Got a trivia question for you. What street was Harry on when the night bus arrived? Options are Ferryboro Drive, Artemis Lane, 
Privet Drive, or Magnolia Crescent. We'll be right back. This is Jeffrey, the financial advisor for SPEW at Gringotts Bank. And now we return to SPEW. And welcome back. Lavender, what street was Harry on when he met the night bus? Um, I believe he was on Magnolia Crescent. That is correct. Such a weird, randomly specific street that is mentioned several times. But seemingly has no importance to the overall story. But yes, it is mentioned several times. I just... And the only way I knew this was because I knew it wasn't Privet Drive. He had already gotten off Privet Drive and he was somewhere. And Magnolia Crescent was the most familiar sounding to me. (laughs) I feel like the other two might be mentioned in the same chapter, which is probably where they got all of the answers from. But yeah, Magnolia Crescent was the one he was on. I got it right. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on to the Daily Prophet. In not news... Sci-Fi Channel apparently airs some of the movies with the deleted scenes. Yeah. And so they were airing Goblet of Fire and people started freaking out because the deleted scene where they sing the Hogwarts school song was put back in. And apparently people on TikTok have no concept of deleted scenes and were (laughs) swearing that this was an example of the Mandela effect. (laughs) Oh, those pesky TikTok kids. But, like, I have seen this deleted scene before. Like, people were acting like it was, like, no one had ever seen it before. I'm like, no, I've seen it before. It's a deleted scene. You can find it on the interwebs. Is it, isn't it included with the, like, the DVD? I assume so. Uh, Right, I would assume so, too. In updates, LEGO has new sets coming out based on Order of the Phoenix and Half-Blood Prince, including the Room of Requirement, Astronomy Tower, Grop in the Forbidden Forest, the Attack on the Burrow, and for some reason, a Privet Drive set based on Chamber of Secrets, and a Articulate Hedwig with a 13-inch wingspan. Who on earth wants a Privet Drive LEGO set? I, I don't. All of the others sound great. They released a trailer for Zanga's Puzzle and Spells. Still no release date for that. The next phase of Harry Potter at Home is actually slightly more interesting than the previous stuff. Mm -hmm. Each chapter of Philosopher's Stone is being read by a different celebrity. These are videos being released, but there is also an audio podcast version exclusive to Spotify. Which I did not download the app, so I hate when podcasts do that. It's like, you have to use this podcast app. Mm-hmm. Spotify is really raking in on these exclusives. Daniel Radcliffe read Chapter 1. Noma Mezweni read Chapter 2. Eddie Redmayne read Chapter 3. Stephen Fry for Chapter 4. <laughs> then Chapter 5, I think this is when they started getting a whole lot of people interested and started just cramming them in places. Um, Chapter 5 is read by Simon Callow, who I've looked up and I have no idea who this is, but Chapter 5 is actually, it's read by him, Bonnie Wright, and Ivana Lynch, each reading like 20 minutes at a time because it's an hour-long video. (laughs) And then Chapter 6 is read by 18 cast members of Cursed Child. Jamie Parker, the original Harry, is narrating and then everyone else is playing a specific character. Then Chapter 7 was Olivia Coleman, Jonathan Van Ness, and Kate McKenna. Kinnon. Chapter 8 was Aaliyah Bott with Alec Baldwin and his daughter for some reason. Um, David Beckham and Dakota Fanning have been lined up to read some, so 
That's ongoing at the moment. Tom Felton is now on Cameo making personalized videos for 206 pounds, which people are like having a fit because he's rich, so why is he charging that much? That's not the reason people charge that much for things like that. The reason you charge that much is because if you didn't, you'd have a billion of them to try to do every day. Yep. The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt movie with Daniel Radcliffe is out, and I have not watched it yet. I need to get Netflix so I can watch it. Apparently they kiss, and she said that she felt bad because he had to kiss this old pregnant lady over and over again. <laughs> New news. Another first edition sold for 33,000 pounds, and there were two paperbacks with it that sold for 3,403,000. ,003 These three books were found by a teacher 12 years ago in a skip, which I had to look this up. I found whole forums of people like arguing about what a skip is. It turns out we do not have these in America. Oh, okay. Using context clues, I assumed it was a dumpster. Apparently it is not a dumpster and people get very angry when you call it a dumpster. It is basically a dumpster, but it's yellow and it's wide at the top and narrow at the bottom with no lid. And it is mainly used for like construction purposes and stuff like that. And also they don't dump them and then put them back. They carry them off and put a new one there. So a dumpster. So it's like a dumpster, but they look very different and they're yellow. Okay. Anyway, teacher found these three books in a dumpster that the school library was using when they were cleaning out for inspections. And then they put the books in the attic and forgot about them. Mm. Tom Felton was sorted into Hufflepuff on Wizarding World. <laughs> which I'm kind of confused as to why it took him this long, but he tweeted a sad day on so many levels. <laughs> so poor Tom Felton, you're a Hufflepuff like the rest of us. <laughs> Loot Crate has a new Wizarding World crate. They've already had a Wizarding World bi-monthly crate. This is now Wizarding World Wear. And so this is one wearable every other month for 20 bucks. It could be a t-shirt, it could be a hoodie, it could be a scarf, could be socks. Miriam Margulies. It's not pronounced Margoyles, by the way. Oh, well, I'm glad you cleared that up for me because that's what I thought. <laughs> uh, she played Professor Sprout. She has a three-part docu-series called Almost Australian. She became a Australian citizen in 2013, and the series follows her up and down the coast. She doesn't like Surfer's Paradise, apparently. The developers have ruined it with those horrible structures, and people should be ashamed for living in them. Is what she says? Yep. So this is her new mission? <laughs> also, I found out that... I don't know how we missed this, but last year, a vacation home that she rents out in Dover was used by a gang as a drug drop. They would fly helicopters in from, you know, across the water and land on the roof. And, and um, they found like 17 million pounds worth of wholesale value cocaine. <laughs> I do remember seeing this interview and the way she told it was so brilliant. There are new Funko Pops out this month. Got two variants of Harry with the invisibility cloak, which there's already one where he's, it's like the transparent version. This one is not, it's just him holding the colorful invisibility cloak. And there's like two variants of that. Dumbledore with baby Harry, Neville with the monster book of monsters, Hermione levitating a feather, Ron with the slug bucket, Draco with that terrifying giant spider on his face that Moody like makes dance on his face. <laughs> And then there are two 
10-inch figures, Dumbledore with Fox and Voldemort with Nagini, and then three new keychains, Snape in Grandma's clothes, Hermione throwing a potion, and Luna Lovegood with Spectre Specs, and also a new movie moment, which is Harry and Voldemort dueling in the graveyard. I want them all. (laughs) That's the point of Pops. You you want them all, and then you realize they cost money, and then you're like, I'm not buying those. Mm -mm. And now we get to J.K. Rowling's tweets, which I am not going to talk about all of them, because that could be an entire podcast on its own. (laughs) She did not do a lot of negative stuff this time, so I'm going to focus on the more positive stuff. Normally on the 2nd of May, she posts to celebrate the Battle of Hogwarts by posting a apology for killing someone. Last year, because she wasn't on Twitter, she didn't officially do it, but she did change her Twitter banner to a picture of the star Sirius. This year, however, she tweeted, Today's the 22nd anniversary of the Battle of Hogwarts, but I'm going to be honest and say it feels inappropriate to talk about fictional deaths today. Too many people are losing loved ones in the real world. So on this anniversary of a great wizarding victory, I'm thinking of the people who are doing their jobs to protect us and our way of life. I have three key workers in my immediate family, and like all such relatives, I am torn between pride and anxiety. As ever in a crisis of this sort, the poorest, most vulnerable are hit the hardest. So in honor of the Battle of Hogwarts, I'll be making a donation of one million pounds, half of which to crisis.org, who are helping homeless during the pandemic, and the other half will go to refuge.org because we know that domestic abuse has sadly increased hugely during the lockdown. So she did something good, I guess. Good for you, Joanne. I'm real proud of you. Then the next day, she kind of got into an argument with people about how disgusting trifle is. (laughs) (laughs) She described it as custard cake, cream, and jelly and sherry put together in a big bowl, chilled to make what I would describe as sugary sludge. Which I very much agree, it is sugary sludge. I think you've said that in a previous episode before, actually. Have I? I think so. Somebody then commented, I might change your mind with my strawberries, cream, and white chocolate trifle. She says, I would eat it and say it's delicious because manners, but the only thing I dislike more than trifle is white chocolate. I agree with with Joanne on this. White chocolate and trifle are disgusting. I partially disagree. White chocolate is delicious. It's okay on some stuff. White chocolate pretzels are okay, I guess. Mm -hmm. Then on the 15th, she tweeted, I don't understand Bitcoin. Please explain it to me. (laughs) Right there with you. So the official Bitcoin Twitter said, Wizards need to trust Gringotts Bank. Bitcoin fixes this. To which she responds, I don't trust this. (laughs) A little bit later, she says, People are now explaining Bitcoin to me, and honestly, it's blah, 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 collectibles, like My Little Pony. Blah, 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 computers. Got one of those. Blah, 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 crypto. Sounds creepy. Blah, 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 understand the risk. And I don't, though. (laughs) To which Elon Musk responds, Pretty much, although massive currency issuance by government central banks is making Bitcoin internet ghost money look solid by comparison. He then followed this up by humble bragging that I still only own 0.25 Bitcoins, by the way. Huh. (laughs) Interesting. Elon Musk is becoming a stranger and stranger human being, if that's even possible. I told somebody the other day that I think Elon Musk is our reality's Lex Luthor. (laughs) (laughs) 
I still stand firm by that. Finally, she says, this is getting silly. I'm not joining the Bitcoin community. It should be perfectly obvious by now that I've been trolling Bitcoin in hopes of boosting my significant Ethereum holdings. <laughs> if you don't know, Ethereum is basically Bitcoin's biggest competitor. Yeah. Then on the 21st, she decided to start a thread about all of the false Harry Potter birthplaces, beginning with the Elephant House Cafe, which she says she did write in, but that is not where she started writing. She started writing in a Clapham Junction flat over a sports shop. She also confirmed a few restaurants that she did write in. Severus actually came from the name of a road in Battersea that she used to walk by. There's a lot of places that people have claimed that were the inspiration for certain things, except she had never seen them or been there before. So there's a library in Portugal that claims is the inspiration for the Hogwarts library. There's several schools in Edinburgh that claim to be inspiration for Hogwarts. The Old Firehouse, which is a restaurant that is at the university, that she went to is supposed to be the inspiration for the Leaky Cauldron, except she doesn't remember ever actually going there. And the Shambles, which is the shopping district that is said to have inspired Diagon Alley. Although I looked up the Shambles, if it didn't inspire her, there's no way it didn't inspire the movie. Really? It's, it's pretty spot on. Hmm. Her favorite false fact is that in a tour of Edinburgh, someone claimed that J.K. Rowling used a specific parking meter, except she doesn't have a car and she can't drive. Huh. And at one point in this thread, she mentioned Quidditch. So, of course, people started talking about how the scoring doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so she pointed to an old response that says, It makes total sense. There is glamour and chasing and the elusive lucky break. But teamwork and persistence can still win the day. Everyone's vulnerable to blows of fate and obstructive people. And success means rising above them. Quidditch is the human condition. You're welcome. <sighs> Thanks, Joanne. Right, we got a few things in autism news. First one, also on Loot Crate. Found this by accident when I was looking at the other thing on Loot Crate. Autism Speaks partnered with them to create a sensory crate. It will feature five sensory toys designed specifically for children on the spectrum for $45, featuring Adventure Time, Powerpuff Girls, Steven Universe, and We Bear Bears. It's in a special category that basically it has to have at least 2,000 pre-orders before June 1st in order to go into production. And as of recording on May 30th, they are at 1,819 pre-orders. So well, that's not bad. It's not bad. It's doable, but it may also not happen, but it's close. Hmm. Abby Kadabby doesn't watch any of those shows, does she? No... She, uh, Adventure Time sometimes captures her interest, but very fleetingly. They don't have and puppets, so. Exactly. They don't have puppets, so she doesn't care. Although, have you seen Wee and Bear Bears? I don't Bears? know about Wee Bear Bears. I've never heard about that, but it sounds like naked bears running around, and we won't have that. <laughs> bears are naked anyway. <laughs> Wee Bear Bears is awesome. It's about three bears who are brothers, adopted brothers. Yeah, Grizzly, Pan Pan, and Ice Bear. And Ice Bear is 100% on the spectrum, and it's amazing. I'll have to check it out. A new study from the University of Washington found that infants as young as six months with sleep problems are more likely to be diagnosed with autism. 80% of children on the spectrum have sleeping issues, and scientists believe that sleep problems that young could affect the development of the hippocampus. So, hmm. yeah. Which... 
I definitely have trouble sleeping and always have and have to listen to something to go to sleep. Yeah, Abby has kind of always had problems sleeping too. She's always been one of those kids that like she can sleep just four hours and be good to go. It's it's kind of tapered down more. She's gotten older and more active, but she yeah, she's always had sleeping problems as far back as I can remember. Alright, and our last piece of news is about Micah Stoffer. Have you heard about this? Unfortunately, and indeed I have. And it, it boils my blood. <laughs> so, Micah is a YouTuber and Instagram personality. And in 2017, her and her husband adopted Huxley from China. And prior to the adoption, they were told that he had, quote, brain damage. When they had um, finally received him in the States, that's when they found out that he had suffered a stroke in utero, had autism, and a sensory processing disorder. I'm not exactly sure why that's listed as two separate things, but that's how they listed it. Mm -hmm. But they had posted videos to YouTube about the adoption process, about learning about his special needs, and have monetized this whole process of taking care of him. And Huxley has been featured in several ads, including a Danimals ad entirely just featuring him. And earlier this year, fans of the channel had noticed that Huxley wasn't in any of the videos or any of the photos. And finally, on May 26th, they posted a video explaining that he had been rehomed. Which they were quoted as saying that once Huxley came home, there was a lot more special needs that we weren't aware of and that we were not told about. They had 300,000 followers on YouTube, and then that main account has been set to private. They do have other YouTube channels and other social media accounts that have not been turned off. They just haven't touched them since this has gone out. And basically every sponsor that had worked with them is just like we haven't worked with them in like six months and we don't plan to stop yelling at us so yeah children are children and don't get rehomed and i i don't have much experience with any other kind of different ability but i would imagine that being a caretaker slash parent to anybody with brain damage would be more intense than being a parent of somebody with even severe autism and I say that as a mom of a child with severe autism mm -hmm. I mean I I could very much be wrong like I said I don't I, I know nothing about caring for somebody with brain damage but I just you know the more you read into this story it just it gets more disturbing and it really does it still boils my blood I can't look at this story and remain calm which the rehoming is different than the other more formal process that goes through the adoption agencies. This is a process that's done more privately and is frowned upon, but isn't illegal. But they claim that they specifically rent this route so that they could find a home that could actually take care of them. Well, and apparently they knew these people beforehand and just saw how well Huxley did with him and the, the lady... I guess the mother of the bunch that they rehomed him with is a medical professional of some sorts and has more training. Okay, this is new information because what I was finding was no one was even sure where he was. 
I'm pretty sure I read that in an article. I don't have it here to quote. And I refuse to watch this video. Because <laughs> I'm not giving them my view. So I apologize if I'm bringing inaccurate information. But that's, that's what I had read. Well, that's all we've got for this episode. Remember on the 15th, we will be reading the first 12 chapters of Goblet of Fire through the lens of autism metaphors. If you would like to add to this conversation or want to add metaphors that you found in Goblet of Fire, you can send us owl mail at spewcast at gmail.com or send us a howler either through that same email or through 407-706-SPEW. That's 407-706-7739 or there's a link in the description. Mm -hmm. You can also look at our webpage at spewpod.uk. You can check us out on Twitter at Spectrum People or on Facebook we're facebook.com slash spewcast. We're also on Instagram at spewpod is our handle. And we are on TikTok as well at spewcast. Our theme music is by Joan Burr. And until next time, I'm Queerness. And I'm Lavender. And as Luna Lovegood said, don't worry, you're just as sane as I am. Bye. Bye. Bye.